Searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike back here with the Pitch Please podcast. Today, we've got two special guests. We've got Riley from the Forge Incubator in Hamilton and Shalicia from a company called InCharge. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the Forge, a little bit about her company um, that's actually a resident company of the Forge uh, and learning why and how those two things fit together. So maybe we can start with a quick introduction. Um, Shalicia, if you want to go first, talk a little bit about your role at InCharge and then we'll pass it over to Riley, talk a little bit about him and learn some things about both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Shalicia Harris. Um, I founded my company in charge in 2019, um, but really didn't get started on my entrepreneurial journey with in charge until I actually joined the forge with a more solid idea that I was looking to scale. So we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. But that's a little bit about me. It all came out of my personal journey. And now we're trying to help more people in their personal finance journey as well. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for having us, Mike. And Shalicia, as always, uh, thanks for being an excellent company at the forge and an excellent example of what uh, the Forge is really looking for in an amazing company. Um, just a little intro to myself. Name is Riley Moynes. I'm the incubator manager over here. And um, what we do over at the Forge is we help companies scale. Um, we help them uh, from early market traction, proto- kind of early MVP stage, all the way to about one to 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 two rev- uh, to two million dollars in revenue. Excuse me. Um, the idea is how can we get you as a company to sales quicker? Uh, and that's kind of what we've structured all of our resources around. Um, we've got mentors uh, here. We've got access to perk partners, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and and uh, the idea is how do we, how do we get these guys uh, and gals uh, moving as quickly as possible towards sales so that they can you know, do what a lot of startup companies do, either raise or hire, uh, you know, new team members to take them further on their journey. Amazing. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about both of your backgrounds until you've sort of arrived where you're at today. Um, Shalice, yeah, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile a little bit earlier. You've definitely got some cool experiences, but now I realize I'm also talking to a little bit of a, a TEDx celebrity as well. Do you want to give a little bit of background about yourself, some of your roles um, leading up to, you know, your journey of where you're at now at, at in charge, just so we can learn a bit about you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I will say my career journey has been quite unconventional. Um, I haven't really been in the exact same role um, within any kind of company or the same industry um, too much. But I really believe in like leveraging transferable skills. And I think a lot of those experiences like taken, you know, from one job to the next job really kind of helped set me up to be an entrepreneur and starting my company. So some of the roles I started right out of university was actually in sales. Um, which eventually morphed into more of a market and project management. And that's really because I did incredibly well in sales. And I took my small role as 
a customer service rep and kind of transformed it into actually signing um, a million dollar deal with a very small company um, to deploy um, a, a rebranding project for for them. And from there, you know, I started working for some big CPG companies like Coca-Cola. Um, they brought me on to do some more innovative sales, like what are some market opportunities that their current teams aren't taking advantage of and how can I view the market differently? So that was a really cool role where I came in. I found opportunities really quickly within, believe it or not, the salon space coming out of my own experience. Um, and so I was able to then teach more of their business development folks how to look at an existing market in a unique way. And from there, it kind of morphed into more of a project management and strategy role, um, going on to a coffee company further than that, Walmart Canada and Van Craft Heinz. And those roles have all been really cool because I've always been in the innovative space or in the scale space. So now with all of that experience and kind of the retail marketing, project management, um, CPG world, that's all really helped set me up to, you know, take an experience that I had for myself, which was um, looking for a financial advisor, going to the banks, trying to get one. And even though I had opportunities to do a lot of things with my money, they simply just wanted to sell me another line of credit. And that just wasn't what I expected. So with that, I was just like, it has to be done better than this. And that's where I started on my own personal financial journey, developed the five key pillars of personal finances, which I talked about in my TED Talk. And um, now we're using that framework um, and using it to actually help financial advisors in the field to, one, deliver personalized financial literacy to their prospects while helping them curate the best products that's right for them in that point in time and for the future. That's amazing. So as I kind of listened to you kind of go through your background there, um, I heard a lot around sales, innovation, but not really like entrepreneurship. And so you obviously encountered a pain point. If you kind of date back to earlier in your career, before your career even started, did you see yourself as an entrepreneur in the future? I think I did. I always wanted to do my own thing. And what I think I loved about most of my roles in um, in the corporate sense was I was able to take those roles and create what I wanted out of them. And the second I wasn't able to do that anymore, this opportunity with what happened to me in my personal finance became that outlet for creativity for myself in terms of solving problems I really cared about in a more meaningful way. And that kind of replaced what, you know, the corporate environment wasn't giving me anymore. And it really became the right opportunity to jump right into this. That's cool. Uh, one more question. Yeah. Um, your TED Talk experience. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know, how does one get started getting a platform like that? Is it nerve wracking? I'm assuming someone out there is wondering, can I too be a TED Talk speaker? Um, how did that kind of shape up and how did that come to be? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of serendipitous in a way in a lot of ways, um, because I remember about three years ago, it was the day I met one of my really great friends um, for the first time, and we were watching a TED Talk on LinkedIn, and it was so inspiring, and I remember just saying to her out loud with no real meaning behind it, like, I would love to do that one day, and it was for um, McMaster Entrepreneurship Week when 
um, last year, actually, when I heard that there was a call for a TED Talk. And every time I sort of tell my story of coming to Canada and how I had to like learn the financial landscape, you know, as a teen going forward, everyone was so, you know, inspired by it. And I thought, what a great opportunity for me to tell that story on a bigger scale, because one, it's not it's not a unique story, but it is a unique experience that I have. And there were a lot of learnings that came out of it, which I think a lot of people can resonate with. And because personal finance is really an internal experience and journey for a lot of people, I think it creates an opportunity for them to say, you know, hey, yes, one, maybe I can solve some of my own problems. Or two, I'm not alone in this. And the problem is greater than just me not understanding and not, you know, explaining, um, explaining what my needs are and my experiences are in a more simple way. Yeah, I feel like the platform, um, to your point, you had a relatable story and a compelling platform to talk about it and share something that draws others in. Um, speaking about relatable stories, Riley, I have to imagine incubator manager, like that sounds like a pretty hefty role. Sounds like you help and connect a lot of people. Um, how do you get into a role like that? Tell us a little bit about your background and what sort of brought you to becoming an incubator manager in case anybody out there is, you know, also looking to one day take your job. But until then, show them the ropes. What do they got to do to become an incubator manager? Well, thanks for asking, Mike. Um, you know, I feel like after listening to uh, Shalicia's story again, um, I, I feel like we've almost switched our career paths uh, almost entirely. So, um, Shalicia, you know, you're, you've kind of moved into entrepreneurship um, and taken a step out of that corporate environment now, um, which I, uh, I commend you for because it's tough to make that career change. I actually made the career change in reverse. So I came from entrepreneurship and uh, eventually kind of got uh, to the place that I am now, which is I am um, gainfully employed by McMaster University in the role you, you previously described. Um, to just kind of look at my background, though, um, I come from an, a very entrepreneurial family. My, uh, my parents uh, run three denture clinics. My grandfather retired when he was about 35 years old after, uh, you know, really setting himself up uh, well. Uh, I'll just put it that way. Uh, he eventually got bored of being retired at 35 and started a, a lumber yard. Um, uh, we, we like to think of it as the, uh, the largest indoor lumber yard in Western Canada at the time. Um, I eventually, uh, you know, started, you know, when I started uh, life as an entrepreneur, uh, it was right after university. And I had seen all of my family members doing entrepreneurship. And uh, I thought, well, why would I, would I, would I want to work for someone when I could work for myself? Um, I, originally, I was very interested by uh, film and video production. So uh, I got into film and video right out of university, started my own company uh, that I ran for eight years uh, with a business partner. And, um, you know, eventually I just thought, you know, I, I'm, I've kind of lost my thrill of being this uh, creative filmmaker and I'm doing more business anyway. So maybe I should 
uh, consider studying business more and expanding the the skill set that I have uh, into other forms of business. So um, after selling, you know, selling out of my company, I um, I went to uh, down to San Francisco and I took a pro uh, took an, a very special MBA program that has a, a specialty in what we call design strategy. And so this program really gave me that innovation uh, strategy skill set that I now use with the companies that I work with at the Forge. Um, and you know, after doing this MBA, I thought, well, my wife now uh, got kind of her dream job up here at McMaster, and so we we moved to Hamilton. I thought, well, what can I use the skill set for? And uh, you know, it just so turns out that. Uh, consulting with and working with uh, early stage startup companies and even in some later stage companies was uh, really a great fit. Uh, and, and so that's kind of how I got into this this role. So you've sort of been an entrepreneur at heart from the beginning. Um, I, I want to learn a little bit more about the types of companies at The Forge, but it sounds like with such contrasting stories, this feels like an ideal moment to ask for advice. Um, so maybe since you're already kind of going, Riley, what's your advice on, um, you know, deciding if moving from being a family of and person of regular entrepreneurship to sort of plant yourself into a role where you're going to stay put um, and, and be, you know, gainfully employed as whether it be an incubator manager or something else, as you said. And then Shalisa, back to your side, you know, you know, Riley mentioned it's very tough to make that jump from being in the corporate world to becoming an entrepreneur. So I'd love each of your kind of perspectives on, on that or, or advice that you've got for others. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, if I look back at my experience, I, I, I think... You know, I really just thought about this as a starting point for my new education of experience. Where can I put that to use? Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's kind of how I made the transition. And, and to be quite honest, Mike, I, I find it, um, you know, I find it exhilarating to see other people taking the advice that you've given them and really putting it into, into action. Um, will I, uh, you know, always, uh, see it that way? Probably not. Like I, I, you know, it's really hard to take the entrepreneur out of the entrepreneur. Right. And so, uh, you know, I'm still very much tempted to have a little business on the side. I actually do have a solar energy company on the side that I, I work with. Um, but you know, you coming into a role like this after being an entrepreneur, it's difficult, um, because, you know, you've been the person guiding a company for the, uh, the longest time and you've been the sole decision maker or one of the main decision makers. And now you're coming into a place where you have to play nice with everybody again. And so um, you really have to kind of work on your interpersonal skills. You have to work on your communication skills to make that happen. Uh, I, I think that was probably the hardest part for me it was kind of to try to let go of some of that um, you know, requirement to, to be that sole decision maker and think about how, how do I creatively uh, explain things so that, you know, perhaps people could see things through my eyes, uh, you know, whether it be uh, other coworkers of mine or my boss, um, so that, you know, perhaps I can convince them to come around to my perspective on things. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that's probably the, the hardest thing that you, you kind of have to learn. You just have to learn to kind of switch that mindset away from 
being that sole, uh, you know, decider um, to, to being a team player, uh, more of a team player once again. So from decision maker to enabler, it's a great, great transformation story. Um, Shalicia, how about yourself? It sounds like your, your jump is maybe some would say the harder one, or at least Riley would say so. Um, what, uh, what compelled you? I know we're going to talk about uh, in charge in just a second, but you know, what were some of the things going through your head uh, or mind or body as you were kind of thinking about this big life change of going from regular kind of corporate career as where you started in sales and going all in to be an entrepreneur? So I would say, um, so what I, what I mentioned earlier was I was really looking for autonomy. Autonomy is something that's always been important to me, even like as a child, like my parents couldn't tell me to do something until they really um, convinced me that this was the right thing to do because I've always had my own opinions and things like that. And when you're sort of stifled in that way um, from a corporate standpoint, and not everyone has the same corporate experience, some people, you know, have immense um, entrepreneurship opportunities within companies that they work in. And, you know, um, I work with Desjardins and their Discovery Series um, group. And I actually just interviewed them on my podcast talking about, you know, how is it to be an entrepreneur within a company? Because outside of their salary and everything else, they truly do get to run whatever they do on the day-to-day and drive their own division. And I think if I had that experience within my corporate experience, I might have been satiated, I think, for a much longer time. But that drive to really take something and create something out of it was really the big driver. And the obvious downside of, you know, taking that big leap of faith is your income, right? That is definitely the biggest part of it. And yes, do I feel it sometimes? Absolutely. I haven't been on vacation for a couple of years now, which is something I love doing. But I saw that, you know, this short term kind of risk and sacrifice and everything together is going to make it so much more worth it in the end for me. Because I think, you know, coming out of even, you know, It's been almost two years since I've not been in the corporate world and working with in charge and on my business day in, day out for almost two years has been so transformative in like my person, my character, you know, how the business has grown and evolved and pivoted. And that brings me so much more joy than like a steady paycheck at the end of the day. Is money important? Absolutely. But how I feel about what I work on every single day is so motivating. And I think if someone is looking or lacking motivation where they are right now, you just have to find what drives you, whether that's entrepreneurship or not. It's not for everyone. It's lonely. It's hard. You cry a lot sometimes. um, And you get no's all the time. And so you have to be willing to know if you are capable of bouncing back over and over and over again until you get it right. And I would say if you're willing to do all of those things, um, then I think entrepreneurship is right for you. Otherwise, you don't have to. Not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. I, I love that. So maybe some some sacrifices, short or maybe long term on the financial side, but there's an autonomy and a fulfillment that's oftentimes hard to get at every single 
corporate experience while may exist out there. It's not everywhere. I can say I have definitely have the ability to do that where, where I work. So it is, uh, it is the blending of that entrepreneurial spirit and I love it, but I also love working close with founders and startups and learning about and helping connect them. And that's, that's why I do this. Um, maybe Riley, tell us, you know, we're going to do Pitch, please. We're going to do the pitch about um, in charge in a second, but I, we're going to need to know how these are connected. So maybe give us the the quick pitch on what the forge is, the spectrum on how many different businesses you support, and if there's companies with an idea or maybe they're bigger companies, help them find their ground of whether they should be coming to talk to you at the forge. Yeah, amazing. Um, so we at the forge are a business incubator in Hamilton, uh, Ontario. We work with, uh, companies that are at the early, uh, MVP or early market traction stage. Um, meaning that you have some sort of, um, entrepreneurship 101 kind of on board. You've kind of got that understanding, um, and that you've, you've built something. Um, I, now I don't want to say that it's a finished product, but you've got something tangible that you can go and talk to people with. Um, and that you've done a little bit of validation on that uh, particular product or service or idea. Um, we we also are interested in working with uh, people at the Forge who are I, I don't want to say full time founders, but you're you're putting in a substantial amount of effort on your startup. Um, and the reason is is that we provide uh, office space, we provide mentorship. Uh, we've got over fifty different mentors here. And we work with companies that are in all sectors. So if you can imagine, uh, we have to have a lot of support from our mentorship in order uh, from our mentorship pool in order to make that work. Um, unlike some other incubators that are specific to health or specific to AI, right? Who can who can find mentors that are very specific to those particular sectors? We have to be fairly broad with the mentors that we bring in. Um, and, and we offer a lot of other things. Like I would call it like a one-stop shop from any, for anyone looking to build an innovative, scalable business. Um, you know, uh, from perks, like we've got over 200 different perks. You know, if you want inexpensive accounting or accounting help, um, all the way to, you know, you need Microsoft Azure credits, right? We can help you get access to that sort of thing. And then we have over 40 um, uh, venture capitalists and angels in our uh, investor network. So one of those other things that companies are looking to do, they're looking for revenue, but they're also looking for perhaps in, in certain cases to raise money. And that's another way that we can help them, um, you know, very apropos for, for this uh, you know, podcast, we, we will help them get their pitch together. Um, you know, like I said, just about anything you might need. I've helped companies figure out partnership disputes and legal troubles. And, you know, um, I, I think someone today was likening me, my, uh, 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 what I do here to like a business psychologist, right? You, you have, you, you need to talk to someone about what ails you and your company and you need a, a, a solution. Uh, this is the type of uh, this is the type of service that you might want to get access to. I love it. A, a business psychologist. That was a great punchline summary. Um, we're gonna turn the tables over to you, Shalicia, um, and we want to hear your pitch, please. Tell tell us about in charge. All right. So, say in one sentence. 
what InCharge is really doing is creating the next generation of financial advisors. Today's financial advisors just aren't serving us in a way that, you know, we want to be served. They're not embracing technology in the way that they should to serve the millennials and the Gen Z and that real true next generation that needs help with their finances. Um, we are really automating that process for them in terms of helping them grow their business through sales and really nurturing um, their businesses. That allows them to, one, convert more people, to deliver more financial literacy to people. So the more engaged someone is with their finances, the more they can feel confident making decisions with financial advisors and not just putting it in the hand of them. And ultimately, um, what we want to see is a world of transparency when it comes to financial advice um, and really empowering and enabling consumers, everyday consumers like myself, um, to make more informed decisions. That's amazing. And earlier you said that, you know, this idea in charge was born not even idea because now you're you're you know a company if you're at the forge and working with the forge so you've got some some material traction but you said this was prompted by your own experience um tell us a little bit about how in charge got started and who in charge is actually um built for yeah so how we first got started um i you know going back to that true original story was when i was looking for financial advice i felt like there was so much more i could be doing with my money and, you know, to be told, you know, do you want another line of credit? Just didn't feel like real financial advice from one of the big five banks. Um, not the experience that I was looking forward to. And because money was also taboo, I said, you know, this isn't my last, this isn't the last time I'm going to try. I'm going to try again. So I started looking for other independent financial advisors and the experience was quite similar where the advisor held all of the information in their hand, but I had no knowledge to know, okay, am I truly making the right decision? How am I supposed to trust this stranger over the phone or across the desk from me with my money when they're just taking everything from me? They're telling me, you know, these two little button-up solutions for myself, but I have no true way of reasoning and understanding if those are the right things for me. Um, and it was from that experience where then I started to understand, you know, how do banks and institutions view me? How do they determine who they help when you're in a pickle? And that's how we really started to carve out the framework of the five key pillars of personal finances, because I knew debt was important. Your housing was important, how it, what it meant to be financially resilient from a cash and an insurance perspective. Um, am I investing in my future and preparing for retirement or whatever retirement looks like to me? And then finally, you know, what everyone judge you on is your credit score. Do I have the optimal credit score for, you know, a non-predatory institution to help me when I am in a pickle? And that is where, you know, my real financial journey started. And as I looked to scale it, the pandemic happened. Um, people were looking for budget and advice and how to budget. And I was hosting a free budget and workshop online. And in the first eight months, a thousand people came through my budget and workshop. That was completely free to people. And that's where people started asking me, can you make this an app? You know, it's easy. And that's where the idea actually came from. And I first approached the Forge um, with this idea. And that's how 
I made it into the incubator. And following that, we know one, budgets are really time intensive and people have less time than they've ever had in history. So, you know, what else can we do to enable them or even make financial services even better? And that's where I went back to my original story. And I started to test and learn with financial advisors. I pretended to be a potential customer of theirs. Um, some of them didn't like it. Um, but, you know, nine out of 10 of those advisors that I pretended to be a potential customer for actually became clients of mine because they saw the value in what we were delivering. One, it helped them save time in gathering information from their prospects. And it made the experience better because they weren't interrogating them, um, asking them, you know, well, how much debt do you have? What is your salary? Those are really mundane things people don't really like saying out loud. Um, so we really changed that experience where people are now feeling much more comfortable putting something into a portal online, knowing that they're getting something out of it immediately. And that's what really changes the game with how someone engages with financial advisors. There are lots of tools that have you put information in, but nothing is giving you information out. Um, and believe it or not, that is something that is quite new to financial services, even though the rest of the world has gone so far. I mean, quizzes online have been such a big thing for a long time, but yet financial services doesn't give you something that gives you information immediately that's personalized to you um, in a meaningful way. And so we took that and now we're scaling that and now we're actually able to help financial advisors who are my customers um, deliver personalized financial literacy to their prospects, whether that person converts to being a client or not, they are still delivering value to people. So ultimately, my goal is to ensure that, you know, our entire population is aware of what their financial literacy is in a very personalized way through the medium of a financial advisor. That's impressive. And so you mentioned it, it sounded, and I'm just kind of building it in my head, it sounded a little bit like a two-sided marketplace, but it sounds like you don't need to go fetch both sides of the marketplace. You're actually driving your solution to financial advisors and this platform helps them service their end customers in a better way with more transparency and more visibility to the end user of or financial um, benefactor or client, I guess, uh, who's, you know, trying to make these decisions. Um, and, and so maybe a question on, um, you know, you joined the Forge, you said you came to the Forge as you were sort of working on this idea. When someone's applying um, to become a startup at the Forge, Riley, what sort of questions would they have to, you know, be thinking about or what stage would um, Shalicia be at when she was applying to the Forge to be accepted? She's obviously doing amazing work. She's obviously been accepted in. Um, want to make sure people find you at the right time in the right place of their idea build. Yeah, good question. <clears throat> I think one of the big uh, things to know for anyone who is looking to apply at the Forge is that we're going to act just like any other any investor would, right? We're going to ask you the same kind of questions. Um, you know, we want to make sure that you have a viable business first and foremost. Um, you know, so we're going to ask you things like, "Hey, you know, what's the problem that the market is seeing? What is the solution?" Um, what have you built on the solution? What makes it different than the, com the uh, competition? 
Um, we're going to make sure that you understand the market size, so the, the size of the opportunity uh, that you're going into, uh, that, that it's big enough. I mean, if you're trying to host a company that is, or sorry, run a company that is, um, you know, going after a $1 million market, like it just doesn't make sense. So we're going to try to assess that first and foremost, just like any investor would. Um, next thing that we're going to look at is whether or not you as a entrepreneur have the wherewithal, the, the, um, the time to, to build this thing, right? Like we don't expect you to have it figured out. I mean, if we did, we would, um, we would be done here, right? Like we, there just wouldn't be a use case, but, um, we, we need to assess to, to make sure that the entrepreneur has the will to move something forward. We can't do the work, right? We can only provide consulting support and, uh, and, and then you kind of have to run with it, right? We, we, we aren't talking to you as a, com a company every single day, right? Um, we're, we're, we're talking to you at least once a month, often more than once a month, depending on your needs. But execution is going to be up to you. So you as the entrepreneur have to have the skills to, to, and the time and the, and the moxie to take things forward. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that we've talked about. Hey, how do we, how do we assess for that? Right? Um, can we assess for that? Uh, you know, and I, guess, I guess in the future, if, if we wanted to make our process uh, for bringing companies in better, we would we would try our we would find a better, more quantitative way to assess whether or not a company uh, has a founder or founders that have that um, the the moxie and I guess the the will to move something forward. Um, but first, you know, I guess to sum it up, Mike, it's to first we want to assess whether or not the business seems viable. Uh, the tech or the product or the service or whatever you're making is viable and, and, and whether or not the entrepreneur is um, has the will to move the, the, the opportunity forward. Well, that's super fitting because that's what we're going to talk about with Shalicia for the, the rest of this. Um, I know you're going to have to go soon, Riley, and we're going to keep going and spend a lot of time digging into to in charge with a bunch of the things you just said. Um, but maybe as kind of parting words from your side, um, any, any final words of advice of why companies should seek out to work with or partner with an incubator on their journey versus trying to do it all themselves and alone? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the research is pretty clear. Um, if, if nobody has looked into the Startup Genome Project, which is a, uh, was, is, a, is a project out of, I believe it's Stanford University, um, trying to assess what, what makes startups successful. Uh, is there a formula here? I mean, uh, you know, if you, if you kind of just break down the, the, the name of this project, Startup Genome Project, they're really looking to see, is there a formula here? Um, what they found is that the companies that were seeking out mentorship support or, uh, you know, support from those who have perhaps um, walked that path before, um, their, their success rate is, I believe it's three times higher, right? Uh, three to five times higher. And, 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 you know, I think Shalicia said it best kind of at the, uh, you know, when she was, uh, discussing her entrepreneurial journey so far, she said, you know, it's a lonely road. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that we, we do here, you know, if, if, if we're, 
at, at the bare minimum, right? We're here to be a support system for you as you move down this somewhat lonely pathway uh, to start your business, okay? Um, and, you know, if that's the only thing that, you know, Shalicia, for example, were, were to get out of this program, uh, then, then I would be happy because uh, sometimes that's all people need is a little support. But, um, you know, we, we, you know, there's so many, so many other things uh, that we provide that will, 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 will definitely help you out and that other uh, incubator programs provide as well uh, that, you know, no doubt you're, you're going to see a ton of benefit. Um, and just to be around entrepreneurs and part of our ecosystem and community, um, it's super beneficial. I love it. So don't walk down the lonely road alone. And you had me at three to five times the success rate. And I think you probably had a lot of other people there too. Appreciate you joining in for the first half of this, uh, Riley, to give us a little bit more knowledge on the forge. Now that we know that Shalicia is three to five times more likely to succeed, we're going to talk a little bit more about her product. Uh, and and now that we you know understand a bit about both of you, we're going to dive in. So Riley, thank you for joining in on Pitch Please. Shalicia, we're going to dive into a little bit more about in charge. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to like comment really quickly on what Riley was talking about in terms of having that network. I think that is one of the most crucial parts because I just didn't, you know, I didn't have a network and that's one of the one things I had to recognize as, you know, as a corporate professional coming out, I didn't know a ton of entrepreneurs and I knew that how can I go into something when I don't have you know, lived mentors or lived and shared experiences with other people. And that would be crucial to this journey as well. Yeah, I think that's super important. Um, so it sounds like you're getting a lot of value out of the network. Uh, mm -hmm. You're getting value out of the resources. So tell us a little bit about how InCharge actually works. Um, it sounds like it's for financial advisors, if mm -hmm. I'm kind of circling back on that correctly. So tell us a little bit about how it works. And um, if you can share broadly, you know, how, how do you charge or where does uh, InCharge no pun intended, or maybe pun intended. <laughs> where where does in charge charge or make money in in this business value proposition? Yeah, so we are staff business um, for sure. So software service, and like you said, our customers are financial advisors and institutions. And what's really interesting is the way financial advisors specifically in the insurance industry is structured and, you know, sections like wealth and things like that, they're structured in very similar ways, but they really have, you know, a couple of really large companies at the top that kind of sponsor and support these financial advisors below them. So when we actually first started, I was going after individual financial advisors and most of them are actually contracted. They are truly independent um, from a business organization standpoint. They're typically sole proprietors. They might be incorporated. Um, they might have a partnership, but truly they roll up under one of, you know, let's say these big companies, whether it's Sun Life, Desjardins, Canada Life, um, they all roll up under one of them in some way, shape or form. And so with these large networks of financial advisors that roll up under these companies, a lot of times like a entrepreneur, which they are entrepreneur, financial advisors are overwhelmed with so many things they have to do. So in terms of how they look at how their businesses can effectively grow, that you usually becomes really daunting for them because they're so in the weeds with a lot of things. And believe it or not, a lot of things um, within this space is actually still being done by Excel documents, 
pen and paper. Um, and you know what? Your face says it all because I was mind blown by it as well. I couldn't believe like the level of, you know, Excel documents and how many of them like roll into another one that, you know, aided financial advisors in their day to day business. And for any new financial advisor specifically, your success rate is pretty low, similar to entrepreneurs. Um, most financial advisors, 90% of them quit within the first year. And wow. 95% of them quit within four years. That's not really great track record. And that typically comes from their ability to truly create processes within their businesses, especially from a sales standpoint that allows them to um, thrive and actually grow their business and scale it. And that's where in charge comes in. In charge really comes in to help them be in charge of their sales process. Because especially in the beginning of their journey as a financial advisor, that's basically what you're doing day in, day out. You have to get new clients. You have to keep your pipeline filled. And how do you do that in a meaningful way today? Um, that's where we come in with financial literacy, with nurture and prospects. So what we um, help financial advisors do is go from their first touch point with a potential prospect when they might meet you at a networking event and say, you know, hey, Mike, would love to chat with you about your finances. You said there's some things you might be interested in. Would you be interested in sitting down with me. And you might say yes, you might say no, you might blow them off. But what they'll do is take your information, put it into, you know, our CRM. That's unlike other CRMs that really del delivers financial literacy. So based on what you might have talked about with that financial advisor, they can put some basic things in there and it'll automate a lot of really great personalized things to you and what you are interested in based on that conversation. And with that, it gives you also um, our platform, Hey Kira, that allows you as the prospect to engage in your finances a little bit more. So it's not just that that financial advisor is just coming to take from you. They're also giving you something of value without you even being a client. And that's where you can go in spend three to five minutes filling out um, an intake slash, you know, assessment form and get a four-page personalized financial literacy report that helps you understand, like we talked about, the five key pillars. And we break it down in that way because it becomes really consumable for um, individuals. And with that, as financial advisors are able to see people engaging in tools like this, they can say, yes. Mike is clearly interested in his finances. Let's put some more time, more energy, maybe provide you with more tools and nurture you along the way so you can eventually become a, a client for them. And ultimately what we do, all those follow-ups, all that value process that an advisor would typically go through or not go through at all, is now being completely automated and personalized. And it's giving them back about 20 hours a week, which is crazy. 20 hours so a your week. Better client and client experience, amazing mm -hmm. time savings and white glove service from the advisor to their clients. Yep. Um, question on all this. So you were mentioning like some of the bigger companies. So the big five banks, 
wouldn't potentially be a client. It's more those that are using um, in charge as a sole proprietor, but under uh, or maybe incorporated under a larger institution like a Desjardins, Sun Life, would it, like an investors group, or yeah. would they fit into this model as well? Because mm-hmm. I guess they have independent decisions of how they service their clients in the best way possible, sure. despite having a you know the engine behind them. There's still um, nuances in how they deliver their service. I Absolutely. guess. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, investors group is actually a fantastic. Um, example of it as well, because they do have this vast network of financial advisors that are entrepreneurs that run their own business on a day-to-day. And how can we help them do that more effectively is helping them manage their sales funnel, their pipeline um, with meaningful engagements um, from, from like meaningful engagements with their prospects. That's awesome. So do you sell Mm -hmm. to the individual advisors or to the larger kind of institution i guess that has all the advisors under it how does that how does that play out and what stage i guess in in that same question what stage are you at are you launched are people using it can people get a hold of this today Mm -hmm. if they are a financial advisor yes so we do actually have financial advisors on our platform both in canada and the u.s which is really exciting congrats Uh, that means you've launched yeah we've launched we've been live for um over a year um, with our base platform. And um, believe it or not, as a solo, non-technical founder, I did build a platform myself. Um, and it's doing it's doing incredibly well. And I'm happy to see where we are compared to the first versions that launched early last year. Um, so yeah, it's in market. Financial advisors are using it. And we are seeing incredible, incredible conversion rates. So individuals that book meetings with financial advisors that go through our platform, our conversion rate, do you want to take a guess at what it is? Can you give me the industry standard so I have like a baseline in my head? Um, 10% is ideal and good. I'm, I'm going to give you big shoes to fill, like at least 40 or 50%. 75%. That's what wow. we're seeing so far. So as we scale it, obviously it's going to come down a little bit, but with our yeah. first set of users, like they. They love this. And most of the bigger mid-sized firms and even enterprise-sized firms that I'm getting as prospects at this point in time are all coming through referrals because my customers believe in the product so much and the results are truly changing the way they do their business. That's amazing and so critical. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you share... One, if people are interested, where do they go to find out more and get in touch to purchase it? And are you able to share the price live on the show? If not, we don't have to include it. We can get, <laughs> they can get in touch with you and find out more there. Yeah. So right now, um, we primarily deal with, you know, small to mid-sized firms and even enterprise firms. So if someone does have, you know, a network of, let's say, even five or more financial advisors within their company, that's an ideal customer for us. And we do do a lot of customization on the platform to ensure that the branding for that particular company is what resonates with that prospect as well. Um, So that's really important. So no, we don't put pricing out there, Um, (laughs) but it's great. Um, But eventually... Unfortunately, I don't have a list of some of my customers that I can put out there. I would have to kind of get them to co-sign and say, yes, put us out there, have people reach out to us. It is a competitive advantage for them. um, And so they're looking at it in that way. So we are kind of, you know, massaging where we can 
also bring the public to them, but also really give them that kind of secret sauce to help them thrive a little bit more. No worries. But if I want to get started uh, and find out more on a one-to-one basis around price to, to possibly purchase this for myself, where should people go? What's the, is it email you directly or is there a website we should direct them to? Yeah. So we can go to beincharge.io um, and you can just go there. You can book a demo, which will actually um, come directly to me where you can actually see the full functionality of the platform. Um, and also maybe depending on the size of your company and your level of interest, you can potentially get a demo account for a short period of time so you can try it out. Um, in the next couple of weeks or so, we should be launching a partnership with um, one of the big companies that's actually giving independent advisors a pretty great offering um, through this independent um, network. And we're really excited to share that. So you can follow us on LinkedIn as well. So In Charge Inc. on LinkedIn. And once that partnership is live and launched in public, um, individual advisors can now go and take advantage of our pretty low pricing for them. That gives them the full robust program. That's amazing. We'll even, if possible, try to coordinate, but we'll definitely drive people to those those URLs that you said, both on LinkedIn and, and your website directly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as we get to the tail end of this, um, shall I say it, can you share maybe any parting words of wisdom or advice for others starting on their entrepreneurial journey or making the jump or something you've learned going through this as a non-technical founder. You're filled with knowledge. We could probably be here for two to three hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. So maybe any final thoughts that you think you could share with our audience that that could help them in their own journey? I would say um, this is a quote I wrote on my mirror earlier this year in just just the lipstick that I had in my hand at the time. And I saw the quote on Instagram. It was, you know, there's always light in the dark. And sometimes it does get really dark for entrepreneurs, whether you're in the beginning of your journey or in the middle, you know, you've had like 10 no's back to back um, for whatever reason. You came across a hurdle you don't know how to get over. Um, I would say keep working through it because a light in the dark will eventually get brighter and brighter and you'll make your way to another pivotal moment where that light might not be very bright again. And, and that's kind of the cycle of it. And I think, you know, mentally going in and being prepared for that, um, you know, is it sets you up for more success because then you're not overly disappointed at every time and get energized about problems, get energized about solutions. It's not just the solution in that you're solving as a business, but the problems and the solutions that you figure out as you grow your business itself. And I think that makes the journey worth it because at the end of every day, um, sometimes you can feel incredibly, incredibly grateful for where you are, what you've achieved and what you've learned. And if you have that mindset, um, those are things that can do really great for you as an entrepreneur. That's amazing. Keep keep moving one foot in front of the other. There's always lightness in the dark. Um, Shalicia, thank you so much for joining today from In Charge. We also talked to Riley from The Forge. We'll make sure to link everything in the comments and description. Uh, again, this is Mike from Pitch. Please, Shalicia, thank you so much for joining and sharing your story today with our audience. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great day, everybody. 
You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform.